Hello and welcome to Startup Europe, the Sifted podcast. I'm Amy, Sifted's editor. And I'm Eleanor, Sifted's deputy editor. And at Sifted, we report on Europe's tech and startup sector. And every week on this podcast, we talk about the biggest news stories, share some spicy opinions and speak to the journalists who've been out there breaking the stories. This week, we're going to be hearing about N26's latest results and widening losses at the digital bank. We're also going to be hearing about legal battles surrounding Amazon aggregator companies and digging into a new report showing that investment into artificial intelligence is down this year. And as reports come out that German speedy delivery company Gorillas is in talks to be bought by a competitor, Getty, at a very, very heavily cut price, we'll be looking at which investors are going to lose the most if the deal goes ahead. But it's not all doom and gloom. We're also going to be hearing from our reporter Mimi Billing in Stockholm about the European startups trying to reverse ageing and help us live for longer. And Spain is celebrating its 10th unicorn, its 10th billion dollar valued startup in HR software company Factorial. And we'll be asking what that means, what this milestone means for the country's tech sector. But before we get on to it, I have a horrible cold, as you may be out here. And how are you, Eleanor? I am actually not having a cold because I still wear a mask on all public transportation. She's a wise lady. I blame the Sifted Summit, which was awesome. As we mentioned on the pod last week, we had almost 2,000 attendees, 200-ish speakers, heaps of founders and investors, and the vibes were very good. But it has somewhat destroyed the health of multiple members of the Sifted team, alas. Totally. We will recover soon. That's all I will say. So let's crack on with the news. Gorillas, who we've spoken about many, many times, has had one of the most dramatic roller coaster journeys of any startup in Europe recently, is in acquisition talks with its biggest Turkish competitor, Getir. At its peak, the company was judged to be worth 2.1 billion by investors after an investment round of $1 billion in October last year. But today it's reported that the company is running out of money and has struggled to raise fresh investment. So it's hence the acquisition talks. Yeah, so what has been reported in the media is that if Getir does acquire Gorillas, the shareholders of Gorillas are going to take away 12% of the combined entity and then 100 million in cash. And if we consider Getir's last valuation, which was 12 billion, right? And we kind of do a back of the envelope calculation. So 12% of that, adding in that 100 million in cash, that's about 1.5 billion valuation. Obviously, um, it's a little bit difficult to judge because Gettier is probably not going to be worth $12 billion today, but that would be a pretty large fall from what Gorillas was once worth. We also got some interesting information this week. Our reporters were able to look at some documents from a credit agency in Germany that showed a breakdown of the ownership in Gorillas, and so who would stand to you know, cash out from this transaction. Perhaps unsurprisingly, the largest shareholder is Coatu, which is a U.S. crossover fund that owns nearly a quarter of the business. And we all know that those funds like Coatu, like Tiger, you know, they came in really strong in 2020 and 2021 in those heady days when the market was, there was lots of market euphoria and bet big on companies like Gorillas. So yeah, we're actually seeing now that some of those companies that they bet really big on are not doing the best. 
The two other shareholders it's probably worth mentioning are Atlantic Labs, which is the Berlin-based early-stage fund that was the only investor in Gorilla's seed round. It's still the second largest shareholder and holds a 12.6% stake. And then alongside Kwatu and Atlantic Labs, you've got the Gorilla's founder, Khan Sumer, who still has a 12% stake in his company. So when Gorilla's raised its last round, his stake would have been worth $260 million. Um, he's already taken some secondaries off the table, so he's obviously already seen some cash and gotten some returns from this company, but obviously not going to be the kind of result had Gorilla's gone on to, to achieve its vision on its own and not been acquired. Okay, and now sticking in Germany, another very high profile tech company that's faced some challenges of late. N26, the Berlin based digital bank, has this week reported widening losses at the company in 2021. What's going on, Elena? Yeah, so losses at N26 rose to a little over 172 million euros last year, which was up about 14% on year. And a lot of that increase was due to just increase in administration costs. So revenues were up a lot. There was a 70% surge in revenue. They've expanded their user base. Transactions are both growing as well. But the one reason why the losses increased was because they were spending more time on governance, compliance, online fraud prevention, which has been something that they've really struggled with in the past. So just last year, they had to pay a fine in Germany. And then they also had a ban on taking on new customers in Italy. So obviously, those are two big signs that they should probably be focusing on doing a little bit more. Yeah, I had a funny chat with a a Berlin based fintech reporter who was saying, and 26 has as a result of all of this become quite a boring company to report on because they have literally had people from Baffin, which is the German financial regulator, sitting in their office. And when you have, you know, the regulator sitting in your office, lo and behold, things start running a bit more smoothly and boringly for journalists. Yeah, I guess their growth journey is also perhaps a little bit boring. The figures this time also reflected the period when they pulled out of the US. So they made this high profile entrance into the US and then they had to pull out last year. And that also contributed to some of the losses for the year. And earlier this year, when our fintech reporter, Amy O'Brien, sat down with Valentin Stelf, who's the CEO at N26, he said that they really planned to go deeper into Europe and talked a lot about how they still were really only on single digit market penetration in Europe and that they really just wanted to focus on getting that up. So I guess they're a little bit of a boring company, but perhaps that's good for the business as a whole. And for our third story, we're talking about some of the difficulties being faced by two of the Amazon aggregators, one in London and one in the US. So these are those businesses that basically buy up small retailers who sell on Amazon and then they make savings through economies of scale by kind of growing a whole bunch of those retailers together. We've spoken about them before on the pod. They were, the, you know, this kind of business that raised heaps of money in 2021 and have since had to lay off some staff and things aren't looking quite so good. Eleanor, what's the not so great headline this week? Yeah, so SellerX, which is one of the best financed of these Amazon aggregators in Europe, is being sued by a company in the US, which the company in the US says that they sold this game 
to SellerX. SellerX was going to take that, expand the brand and really, you know, make sales take off. But this game company asserts that the aggregator had agreed to pay it a further 900k after a year, but not if sales had decreased by more than 15%. And so now what this gaming company is alleging is that SellerX actually didn't put in the effort to make sure that sales increased, and so they haven't paid them. But SellerX tells Sifted that it always complies with its legal commitments and that it will defend itself in court. And we, myself and Freya, chatted to a couple of people in the aggregator space for this, kind of off the record, to see what they thought of this. And there were some people that were like, oh, well, this is bound to happen. Obviously, these aggregators are buying up lots of different brands. And so there's not everyone's going to be happy all the time. But other people were saying that this does really reflect the fact that markets in general, the economy in general is not going super well. And so this is going to lead to unhappy people who might, you know, go after these kind of aggregators and be angry at them. The lawsuit itself is not super big. A lawyer who's representing this company called Regal Games told Zifted that SellerX acquired its toy for just under 4 million. So obviously very small fry, but still just kind of interesting sign of the times and how the market has changed that we're seeing these as well. And it's not the only Amazon aggregator that's facing a lawsuit, is it? Yeah, no. So there's another Amazon aggregator, Perch, which is based in the US and it's raised nearly a billion from investors, including SoftBank. And they're facing a similar case. Again, not huge, huge, huge. Um, There's a company in the US called That's What She Said, which is a very funny name for a company, is alleging that it had a contract with a brand called Gutter Games before Perch acquired Gutter Games. And it's suing both of them for a breach of contract and saying that it lost out on 35 million worth of profits. So yeah, so we reached out to Perch to get their comment on this, and we haven't heard anything back at this point. So one last news story, which is a fresh bit of research into artificial intelligence. The State of AI report comes from tech investors Ian Hogarth and Nathan Banayak, who we've spoken to on the podcast before. Amy, tell me a little bit about the findings. So the AI sector, like most sectors, saw massive growth in 2021, but investment has now dropped back to the levels seen in 2020, according to this latest State of AI report. That is mostly down to a drop in these what we call mega rounds, so rounds of $100 million or more. And again, that's something we've seen in other sectors, which means that VC investment in AI are down 53% year on year. However, there are some sectors that investors are continuing to show lots of interest in. The report picks out defense, which again, we've spoken about before on the podcast, as a rapidly growing application for AI. One example is Helsing, which is a Berlin-based AI defense startup that raised 100 million euros in November last year and was famously the first investment from Daniel Ek, the Spotify founders, fund. NATO, again, spoken about on the pod before, has launched its £1 billion fund, which will be another big boost for companies working on AI in the defence sector. One other area that the report picks out where it thinks AI will be increasingly applied and investments will show increasing interest is biotechnology. The report also showed that we're still seeing tons of activity, even if investment is down, right? And the number of unicorns is up and all of that stuff. But what about exits? What about actually making money and locking that those returns in? 
So the number of IPOs has dropped dramatically. This is across the world. So from 104 in 2021 to just 26 AI companies IPOing, listing on the public markets in 2022. So far, this, as with basically a lot of this report, is is a trend we're seeing across lots of other sectors as well. And is as a result of the public markets totally slumping. But they did talk about acquisitions. Yes, the number of acquisitions is on track to outperform 2021 numbers. That's because lots of private companies are basically cheaper than they used to be. They're valued at less or they maybe can't raise the next round of funding. So when looking at the countries in the EU, plus Switzerland and Norway, the report found that the number of acquisitions in 2022 already exceeds last year's figures. So already 97 in 2022 in comparison to 94 in the whole of 2021. And I guess we're also, when we were at the summit too, we heard a lot about M&A there. And even companies like fintech companies are really looking to acquire companies with great AI capabilities, right? So I think we'll see a lot of companies from many different sectors look to dip into AI and see what kind of companies they can acquire. So an interesting space to watch. Thank you, Amy. Okay, and now we're off to Stockholm to speak to our Nordics correspondent, Mimi Billing. She's been digging into a uh, favourite area of hers, which is longevity and the companies that are working on helping us live for longer and hack the ageing process. Mimi, why are so many startups suddenly getting into longevity? Well, I think it's to do with, I don't know why it's so suddenly now, but I think that the science has moved forward and the scientists can see that they can prolong life in like mice so then they probably think well we can probably do the same for humans so then you're looking at i mean this is obviously very scientific but like the nine hallmarks of aging and all the kind of like what are the issues that happens when you actually grow like old and then trying to you know kind of treat those things uh, instead of treating diseases because if we treat those things the nine hallmarks of aging you won't get the kind of old age diseases like, I mean, you some people get diabetes when they're older or they get certain like cancer forms when they get older. And there's a lot of millionaires and billionaires out there. And like, so what do you give someone who has everything, right? Well, you would like to have a longer, healthier life. So I think it's, it kind of comes into like some investors are really keen to actually prolong life and some startups are really happy to, you know, make make sure that that, hap- that is happening and what are some of the specific things that the these companies can do potentially to help us not not get so old well i mean as i'm saying i'm trying to uh, not get into too much detail because we know how extremely like crazy difficult it is to explain but um it's what it seems like that most of these companies are trying to do is trying to make the cells in our bodies not actually become zombie cells. So a zombie cell is a cell that is not working as it should be. So it's like a zombie. It doesn't die, but it's just walking around infecting other cells. Because zombie cells can become cancer cells and can then also become like diabetes and Alzheimer and all these kind of diseases. So if you can actually try to make sure that the cells are rejuvenated, that is kind of the core thing here. And you can do that by like cellular programming. That is like very new and the hottest thing, according to 
some at least. And you can also do it by uh, taking supplements. And so it's all these kind of different things. So you can, it's like the very much scientific approach to like cellular therapeutics to the supplements, which are more like easy to get as a private person. You don't actually have to go through any kind of, you know, difficult medical process to get those. So that's kind of what the startups are looking at. And you've been testing out some of these yourself, haven't you, Mimi? (laughs) How's that going? Well, I think it's going quite well. I'm feeling rejuvenated. (laughs) Well, it's hard to say. I have also two small kids, so I never feel rejuvenated. But I do test these things out. I'm I'm one of those persons who want to see whether it can actually make an impact to, you know, because it's not just about, as we're saying, you know, getting to 120. It's also about, you know, making your brain work a little bit quicker than, you know, than it does now I'm, I'm 42 but maybe my brain worked quicker when I was 25 and can I in some way get back to that state I think that's what people are trying to do and so by taking some supplements I do that and I do like intermittent fasting so I don't have breakfast usually I mean so those are the kind of things and obviously you're supposed to you know go out and exercise I don't really do that and uh, also you know eat less meat etc so Amy you're a vegetarian so you probably live very long but those are the kind of things people are looking at. And obviously, this is quite a new space, especially in Europe. So it's not that many people doing it right. In the US, you can see that there's a lot more of this going on. And also across like Asia, now in Singapore, they opened up a, a longevity clinic that is actually publicly funded, which is a big deal because, I mean, just imagine if if the healthcare systems were paying for you to, in some way, do a complete checkup with like your biomarkers, biomarkers is just everything that's decide your biological age in comparison to your real age. And you obviously want your biological age to be less than your real age. So you can take a blood test, you can do like your gene sequencing by like DNA test, etc., to actually find out you know, what you are missing out of, what's your DNA is not actually doing great. So that you can actually get supplements or different therapies to actually prolong your life and not actually get this age-related diseases. And that's happening in Singapore right now. They're opening up a longevity clinic, which is publicly funded to try to actually make people, you know, live longer, healthier lives as a preventive Uh, effort I suppose well with plenty of billionaires and the likes of Jeff Bezos and Google's parent company Alphabet investing in longevity I'm sure some of this will start trickling down to us normal folk in our lifetimes we'd love to tell you about a podcast we're enjoying 40 minute mentor hosted by james mitra the founder of jbm and linkedin's top voice for careers there's so much to learn from this series from purpose-led founders to olympic champions learn firsthand from today's leaders on what it takes to be brilliant all in just 40 minutes you might have come across 40 minute mentor at our sifted summit where they recorded a fascinating panel discussion on putting purpose over profit to listen to that episode and many more insights from brilliant founders head over to any of your favorite podcast platforms and search for 40 minute mentor 
And finally, for our geographical tour around Europe, we are off to Spain, which this week saw the news that HR software startup Factorial has raised $120 million in investment, giving it a $1 billion valuation, which is double the valuation it received at its previous funding round. So we thought this would be a nice opportunity to reflect on what this kind of milestone, the 10th Spanish unicorn, means for the Spanish tech ecosystem. So we're joined by Tim Smith, who's our reporter based in Barcelona, who spoke to Factorial and can tell us a bit about what this means for Spain. So, Tim, how you've been reporting for Sifted for two, three years now. How's Spain been coming along in that time? Yeah, it's changed a lot, actually. You're right. It was late 2019 that I started writing for Sifted and really looking at this area and this sector in Spain. And at the time, there were just two unicorns that were based in Spain. That was Cabify and Glovo. And it sort of depends how you count them now about ones that are sort of headquartered here and not. But yeah, there are 10 unicorns from Spain now. And, you know, you've added names like Job and Talent, Wallbox, Travel Perk have joined that list. So what's also been interesting to see is a different type of company. So there was kind of this reputation that Spain had for kind of doing... I guess, low-hanging fruit tech companies, marketplaces, copycat startups, whereas now you're seeing a lot more innovation in deep tech areas like microchips, quantum computing, artificial intelligence, neural interfaces, and also a lot of companies and very cool companies coming from cities outside Madrid and Barcelona, so from all over the country. So I think it's been very cool to see how things have developed. And anyway, I spoke to Jordi Romero. He is Factorial's co-founder and CEO. Factorial makes HR software, as you said. And he previously worked at a software company called Teambox, which is now called Red Booth. And he started working there in 2010. So I asked him how he thought things have changed in his 12 years of working in the Spanish ecosystem. So we can hear a bit of Jordi now. I look back at when when I joined my first startup, that was 2010, and that was before Factorial, obviously. When we wanted to raise a Series A, we basically only had one option, which was to relocate to Silicon Valley, which ah, we did. Yeah. So, so 2010, if you wanted to go global, you had to be based in the Bay Area. I think for Factorial, we've seen that now you can raise money from the Bay Area investors while being based in Barcelona, in Spain, and in Europe, and even have very strong European investors willing to make similarly uh, bold bets without even having to go talk to, to North American capital. So the access to capital has nothing to do, looks nothing like it did over 10 years ago. The talent market is incredible. I think being in Barcelona is actually an advantage today. It was a disadvantage for my previous company 12 years ago. And now we actually see that a lot of talented people, foreign ta talented people want to relocate to Barcelona, probably like yourself. And that is an advantage today. Now, we still have challenges in our ecosystem. I think we need the more traditional infrastructure to evolve, like the government, the banking system, even the more traditional press to kind of embrace startups and see the good in startups. I think we still have a lot of work to do in that front. I actually, with many other scale-up founders in Spain, co-founded an association called Estec. Basically has this mission, right? To help, help Spain become a better place to start tech companies with global ambition and help create this awareness. So we're in a good trajectory. We're still very early. You see good signs of talent relocating here, capital 
being being invested here, we still have very few success stories. And you mentioned before, you know, when you started at SIFT that there were two unicorns in Spain. I don't know how many we have now, but a few more. And I'm sure in the next five years, we'll have a bunch more because these things take time. And once we have these big success stories, then it can create this flywheel or this ecosystem of early employees who become business angels or founders. And then the expertise stays in a network of executives with growth experience stays in the city and joins another startup. And, you know, it's hard to beat Silicon Valley. Um, I don't think the goal is to compare yourself to Silicon Valley, but we do need to create this ecosystem of founders, business angels, executives, employees, and, you know, the government, the banking and the media uh, ecosystem to help us, raise us, instead of creating challenges, which unfortunately is still the case. So some good stuff, some bad stuff there, Tim. What are you seeing are the main kind of concerns for Spanish entrepreneurs going forwards? I think one thing that people are concerned about is there is this new legislation coming in called Spain's startup law, which will improve kind of tax conditions around things like stock options and equity for startup employees. But there are criticisms around it because it only applies to companies that are five years old or younger. So Factorial, for instance, which is six years old, won't see any of those benefits. So I think it's just a case of stuff is being done. They do see political energy around it, but, you know, perhaps not always done in the most perfect of ways. Thanks, Tim. And that's all we have time for today. If you want to hear more about what's unfolding in the world of European tech and startups, you can find all our coverage on sifted.eu and you can find all the articles mentioned in this episode in the podcast description. And let us know what you think of the podcast on Twitter or email hello at sifted.eu or you can just send a DM to Amy and I. We are all over social. You can find us very easily. And we will see everyone next week. Hopefully when Amy is feeling a little bit better, please send her lumps of vibes. Send me vitamins. Bye-bye. Bye.